welcome everybody to this podcast. It is a joint venture between LSBU AHP BAME Academics in Conversation series, BAME OT UK Network, Let's Talk series and Brunel University Occupational Therapy course. We are tonight going to discuss leadership and Black, Asian and other ethnicities populations, what it means and how do we get there. So welcome and thank you all to be our panel of leaders for volunteering your time this evening. This is a timely topic for discussion in relation to representation of people from global majority populations in leadership positions in the UK. The Chief Allied Health Officer, Susan Rastrick, in her 2020 blog stated that the population of leaders from Black, Asian and other ethnicities groups is well below 10%. This is below the UK population average of 13.9% and significant below the NHS workforce average of 19.9%. In education, fewer than 1% of professors at UK universities are black and few British universities employ more than one or two black professors. And this is from the HESA data 2018-19. Well, this evening we thought we would bring together some leaders from different BME backgrounds and hear about their journey to their leadership positions to inspire us and to show us that leadership is for us. Before getting into discussions, could we introduce ourselves? Um, and let's start with the panel first. Um, please, could you tell us your name, your ethnicity and your leadership position? Um, so if I start again, Maria, would you like to start us off, please? My name's Maria Stokes. Um, my ethnicity is I'm half uh, from Ghana and half from Ireland. So quite a rich mix there. And uh, my uh, professional background is in physiotherapy and I'm currently the Professor of Musculoskeletal Rehabilitation in the School of Health Sciences at the University of Southampton. Welcome, thank you, Maria. And Denise. Hello everyone, uh, I'm Denise Sterling. Um, I'm an occupational therapist by profession. My most recent occupational therapy leadership role was as um, head of occupational therapy um, for a large acute trust in the north of England. I am currently a non-executive director for a foundation trust in the north and I'm a proud African Caribbean woman. Welcome Denise, thank you. Andre, over to you. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Andre. Um, I am by profession an occupational therapist. Uh, my background, um, uh, my mum is from a small little island in the Caribbean called St. Kitts and my dad is from Ghana, um, like Maria. <laughs> and um, currently I am an operations manager um, sitting in a senior management role um, for a local authority in the southeast of England. Welcome, Andre. Vimal, over to you. Hello, everyone. Um, I'm Vimal Sridham. I'm an occupational therapist with background as well. Um, my uh, ethnic background, I'm from India. Uh, my parents still live back there. Um, and my job, I work as the deputy team lead for the collaborative learning and capacity building team 
within the NIHR Applied Research Collaboration in Northwest London. Welcome, Vimal. Thank you very much. And Juin and myself, we're co-hosting the session. So Juin, do you want to uh, introduce yourself and then I'll introduce myself? Okay, sure. Thank you, Mish. Uh, my name is Jo Yin, and uh, I'm a lecturer in uh, Brunel University, London. I'm also the Racial and Cultural Equity Lead for Occupational Therapy, and uh, I'm Malaysian-Chinese, new migrant. Thank you, Juin. And uh, my name is Mushrat Ahmed Landu. My preferred address is Mish. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I'm British, but my ethnic background is Asian Bangladeshi. I'm a senior lecturer at London South Bank University in allied health professions, mainly on the occupational therapy course. And I am the convener of the Race and Cultural Equity Group, which was formed from discussions with Joanne in what she is doing at Brunel University. And I'm also the convener of the Allyship and Cultural Equity Group. And I'm co-leading the Decolonizing Curriculum Agenda for Allied Health and involved with the wider university regarding improving the academic and institutional experience of students and staff from the global majority populations. Uh, yeah, that's me in a nutshell, probably not. <laughs> Um, so I'm going to go on to my first question. What does leadership mean to you? Can I start with Vimal, please? Um, I think I see it um, in sort of three different ways. So I see leadership as something that uh, you do yourself so you act as a role model you set a goal and a vision for the work that you're doing the teams that you work with the organization that you're leading um the second bit is how you interact and shape things for others so uh, how you guide and mentor others um, and because leadership doesn't occur in a vacuum uh, you need to be able to effectively communicate and that's what leadership is to be able to convey your thoughts and ideas and lead a group of people um, and thirdly, I also think, to me, leadership also is how you empower others as well, how you celebrate achievements, how you share responsibility, how you um, shoulder the blame um, and uh, help other people grow. Thank so that's you. my version of what leadership means. Thank you. Thank you very much. Denise, over to you. I, I would agree with, with, with what's, what's been said. I, I also think for me that um, leadership isn't about just individuals or maybe at the top of the chain. I, I believe that leadership is something that occurs at every level within, within organisations. Um, and I think for me, leadership is about relational relationships. It's relational. It's about hearts and minds. It's about the vision that a leader has and, and, and the values that the, 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 the leader is, is wanting to, um, to, to share um, with, 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 with the team that the leader has. Um, and it's, as, as already has been said, you know, it's about empowering and ensuring that, you know, you're taking people along with you and that they are developing their skills so that, you know, leadership isn't about one person. It's, it's about um, people working, working together. 
Thank you. And I, I tagged on to the question, how long have you been in your current leadership position? Uh, Vimal, can I go back to you and then come back to Denise again? Um, about six years now. Thank you. What about you, Denise? Um, I was in, in, in my last post, I was um, um, leading in that role for about 14 years. Thank you. Maria, can I go to you with that question? Yes. What um, does leadership mean to you? Thank you. Um, well, to me, um, it's leading by example. Um, and also getting people to work together as a team. Um, that's what I see as, as being important in leadership. And um, as Bimal said, helping people to grow and um, and also enabling them to grow. They might grow in a different way to the way that you grew or the way you think they should. So really giving them some, some space to do that. And one of the most fulfilling things for me is seeing people grow and get bigger than I am and, and letting them go. So um, yeah, I think uh, for me, it's, it's a lot about sort of enabling people and supporting people. Thank you. Thank you. And how long have you been in your professor post, may I ask? Well, this particular post I've been in um, for 16 years. Wow. Yeah. Andre, can I go to you? Yes, of course. Um, yeah, leadership, when, when I think of leadership, I mean, the first things that kind of come to my mind is, is responsibility. Um, being accountable for your for your decisions, um, decisiveness, I would say as, as well. Um, ultimately, I think as leader, you're, you're you're only good, only as good as the teams that you manage. Um, if you can be the greatest leader in the world, but if your team's not well prepared, um, been given the right resources, um, given the right agenda, um, then it's not it's not going to be beneficial. Um, so. I always think about when I think of leadership about how we can influence people to just be better, have the right skill set, um, be prepared for the for the for the missions ahead because we we work we tend to work in very stress and anxiety provoking um, fields. Um, so it's, it's it's all about influencing staff to build that resilience, um, challenge themselves, put themselves in, in uncomfortable situations where they learn from. Um, and um, trusting, trusting, trusting staff. Uh, I think um, it's it's very easy to um, try to take all the responsibility in terms of um, what needs to be done, but actually it's good to delegate activity to people, um, which then allows them to grow um, and builds their confidence as well. Um, yeah, and I guess that feeds into kind of the, the empowerment of staff as well. Um, yeah, just kind of initial things that come to my mind um yeah thank you that was really interesting and also because there's a lot of commonality there Juin, do you want to add something after the second question sort of rounding up question one and two your thoughts yeah sure gathering that would thoughts. Be great. Yeah. thank you um so i'm going to go on to question i'm making notes <laughs> Me too. I'm actually taking lots of notes and thinking I need to do some of that somewhere. <laughs> so question two is, could you briefly tell us about the journey to your leadership position? 
did you hear that question? Did you hear that question, no, everybody? You did yourself. We didn't hear it. Okay. Um, I'll do it again. Um, so over to question two now. Could you briefly tell us about the journey to your leadership position? And can I go to Maria first? Well, this is going to be a long one. So it was many years, but I'll summarise it. Um, so I, um, two years after qualifying as a physiotherapist, I went to do um, a research physio job in Oxford. And my boss, who, who was a medic and doing his MD, and um, he had a Department of Health grant, and he suggested that I do a PhD because I'd find it very difficult to get back into physiotherapy if I didn't, but also I wouldn't be able to compete with other people, you know, research scientists. So I did my PhD there. Um, and uh, then as a postdoc, I went to Liverpool to the Department of Medicine. Um, and I mean, my work is, was, was in um, mechanisms of muscle weakness and fatigue. That's what I was working with at the time and aging. Um, so I spent four years in Liverpool in the Department of Medicine. And then I went to Australia to the University of Queensland as a senior lecturer in physiotherapy. Um, and carried on my research there. Then I came back to um, the Royal Hospital for Neurodisability in Putney in London as the, um, the Director of Research and Development in the hospital. So I was getting involved in lots of different types of research there. And then I came to my current post in uh, the University of Southampton um, in 2004. So I sort of took a, a strange route, but it was really um, good to be back into the sort of go back into the physiotherapy um, it, that was in the department in Australia so that I could bring all the science I'd learned from from different areas back into um, the clinical area so that's me well that's really interesting so in a way you got pushed back into academics before you could then get on and get into physiotherapy so that that's a uh, interesting push I, I wasn't I haven't been clinical um since two years after I qualified so it was physiotherapy research that I oh, got back into yeah right right so all sorts of other I was mainly doing physiology research from my PhD time in Oxford and did you want to get clinical or did you want to go to that route of being a researcher um, I really missed the boat because there wasn't that structure at the time for doing clinical academic um research like there is now which is great you, you had to come out so I, there wasn't the PhD in physiotherapy either so I did my PhD in physiology at the time but I think now it's great that you have the option to stay clinically skilled so that your research remains very relevant to your clinical practice so I now rely on clinicians to make sure that happens because I don't have those skills myself. Thank you thank you for answering my extra little question there as well. Andre. Do you want to answer that one? Yes, yes. Um, so I guess my journey is a bit shorter than Maria's. I mean, <laughs> um, so I, I, I actually qualified in 2012. Um, hence why Anita probably remembered me. <laughs> um, and from that point of um, qualifying, I, I went straight into the acute sector, which I think is, I always kind of recommend to um, therapists when they leave uni is to throw themselves into the acute sector because I think that's where you build your resilience um, and you'll get put into the most stressful um, anxiety provoking situations which will 
den mean that everything else you come across doesn't really seem that stressful to you so i went from went to the acute sector um and then i went over into the community um and then i um went into the private sector um and yeah i went into basically every sector you can imagine in a, in a, in rapid succession i never really stayed anywhere for um a, a long period of time for a year was the max and i think that's what kind of um build my built built my um my kind of just confidence and resilience to working in this field um and after that i went into senior roles in terms of um um within teams and then i took over as team manager um so i, I team managed um for a number of years um and then i went into the, the senior management position i'm in now um in an operational management center, which is um yeah a different um different ball game in terms of not just managing your own profession um because for a good while i was managing uh, as an occupational therapy team manager and it was about one topic it's about one area it's about one profession um strategically you're thinking about your area only um, it's when I went into um, this this role, um, which I've been in for about 18 months now, um, that I had to manage other professions, manage different areas of um, which I wasn't of my expertise. Um, again, that gave me the opportunity to develop, um, put, placed me in uncomfortable positions um, where I had to have the solutions, think of the solutions, think outside the box. Um, so it's been a really... Um, really good positive experience for me professionally um in this role and i think um it's really important um for occupational therapists to attempt to go into senior management roles where it's not just their profession because then it allows them to widen their scope of going to further managerial positions of experience of, of influence um just not in the scope of our area and then able to put our occupational therapy holistic um mindset into some of the strategic decisions which are being made um which impact um wider populations um because a lot of the decisions uh, they're not made with that kind of biopsychosocial mind state uh, at all um and it's, it's, it's quite interesting some of the considerations you, you can put on the table which are never considered um as an occupational therapist so yeah we definitely bring a lot to the party once we um kind of break the, the ceiling which sometimes gets placed on us due, due to our profession and i think andre you remember the buzz you created in from the podcast we did with the black male occupational therapist people were on twitter saying oh my god now i can see where else i can go i was feeling stuck in my career now i can see somewhere else that i can go and then people started dming uh, baymo to uk and saying can we have some podcasts about leaders please can we see some leaders please talking and we were yeah. like okay okay we're gonna do this and here we are on this podcast yeah. and thank you very much for coming um vimal do you want to answer that question um, yeah, um, again, not as lengthy as uh, Professor Stokes' space. Um, I trained in India, so I finished my undergrad uh, education there, and then I worked in um, 
in the same uh, hospital that I trained in. Uh, I worked in a unit for spinal injury and traumatic brain injury um, clients and moved to the UK in 2005. And I worked for three years in an acute hospital. I was team lead for an OT service there for um, orthopedics, trauma, and uh, general surgery. And as part of my role, I was also tasked at that time to bring together OT teams working in two different sites and try and bring them together and uh, you know, harmonize services as it were. Um, it was set as a challenge and I thought, okay, let's see how we get on and do this. And it sort of worked well. Um, I'm still very grateful for my teammates for cooperating and making it work. And that sort of gave me a boost um, thinking, you know, I'm very new to the system. I have never worked in NHS before. And um, they were very patient and very understanding with me and helped me work um, there and uh, lead those teams. So it was quite a good experience. I moved in 2008 to London. I uh, moved to be an LT team lead in uh, intermediate care bedded services. And after two years, I took over leading a therapy led uh, bedded services unit. So it was staffed by therapists mainly, but also had nurses and it was entirely therapy nurse led unit and was uh, leading that. And uh, in 2011, our organization was undergoing a massive um, change um, and at that time there was a job that uh, was advertised for a clinical education lead within the trust and it's a job that was advertised at that point for mainly for nursing colleagues and my manager at that time said oh you should apply for this you know you've got the skill sets and you should be able to lead this and it's a nice um, um, progression for you so I uh, called uh, my then recruiting manager and said, look, change it. So why does it have to be a nurse? Change it to an AHP as well. You know, if you bring clinical skills to the job, it doesn't have to be a nurse. So I changed it, thankfully. So I applied and was successful in the job. And then I moved to, that was my first senior management post within the NHS. So I did that for two and a half, three years. And during that time, I also completed my MSc. Um, but sort of um, started an interest in research and evidence-based practice. Um, so I moved to my current job um, um, to experience and be with the team that did lots of research. So I moved to that job, uh, which was again hosted by the NHR. At that point, they were called the Collaborations for Leadership and Applied Health Research and Care. So I moved there and I've been there since. Um, and other bits and pieces that I've done through that time um, in leadership roles was um, I became a board member representing HPs for the Royal Marston School. I also applied for and was successful in getting a NICE fellowship. So uh, I think I was the second OT to become a NICE fellow um, after Julia Scott, uh, who's the uh, president of, uh, of the Royal College. Um, and then I applied for now, um, currently doing that as well. I'm a fitness to practice panel member for the HCPC, so I do that as well. And since 2017, I've been doing my PhD part-time. So I spend um, half my week doing my PhD stuff and half the time doing work stuff. So that's my job. Wow, wow, wow. I'm listening to all your leaders and I'm thinking, do you have a life? <laughs> do you have time for yourself? That's that's an interesting 
another conversation. Denise, can you answer that question for us too? I, I can. And um, I have to say that um, I'll make mine as short and as brief as I can, because I think that's I, um, I win hands down. Um, I uh, trained at the tail end of the 70s and actually um, qualified in 1980. So as you can see, I've got a very long, long history um, in, in, in the profession. And uh, like Andre, I... I started off, um, I, I thought I was going to uh, specialize and become a mental health occupational therapist and decided that I would consolidate my skills in the acute setting first, but joined um, an, an acute setting, loved it. And in fact, my, um, my entire career has been as a, an acute occupational therapist. Um, and so I, um, in, in, in my, my, my first, first two um, role, clinical roles was um, uh, in, in, an, in an acute setting. And in, in terms of my journey, um, well, I just want to share very quickly in terms of my journey, that it's, it hasn't only been um, the, the actual role I've been in, but some of the other um, activities and initiatives that I got involved in that I think has helped to uh, helped me to develop the skills and uh, shaped, um, uh, shaped my career. So fairly early on as a junior occupational therapist, I became involved um, in, the, uh, in the professional body and um, as a member of the British Association of Occupational Therapy. That really helped um, in the early stages for me to understand the profession and also to help me to, to develop additional skills as well as consolidating my, my clinical skills at an early point of my career. And that ultimately led on to me um, represent becoming a rep sitting on the council uh, for the College of the Occupational Therapist at that point. And then also um, I became a, a co-chair for an equality committee that we had many, many moons ago, many moons ago. Um, and so I, I worked in different, different settings um, and developing, developing my skills and developing um, services. I developed a, um, a new rheumatology service um, at, um, uh, at, at, at um, uh, a community hospital. And I was the first occupational therapist to work there. Um, that, that again helped to develop my resilience, actually helped me to be really confident and clear about the occupational therapy role as the only occupational therapist having to share that on a regular basis. Um, I had an opportunity to test the water before I, um, in, in my first headship role, um, and I was in an acting position um, for, for a few months, which was great. It gave me an opportunity to see whether I, 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 I like this role. Um, and then, so I, I moved into my, my first head role. Um, I also, um, in terms of networking, um, became part of a, a really successful uh, regional black women managers network in the North of England and, and sat on that committee which actually gave us uh, access to, um, to NHS England. And uh, we actually got quite a lot of support fairly early on. Um, early in 2001, too, I um, 
was 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 involved um, in the organisation I worked worked in at that time. Went through um, a large um, merger, and uh, any of you who've been through a merger, you know that it's a challenging, can be a very brutal and very painful experience. Uh, uh, I came out of the other side of that uh, in a new role. Uh, I was successful um, and um, was appointed into a clinical services manager's role, which meant that I had responsibility for over 200 staff, occupational therapists, physiotherapists, dietitians, speech and language therapists, podiatrists, and oversight of some psychology staff. So that was a major in terms of learning, change management, all the cultural issues that you get in a, in, 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 in a merger. Um, after that, I was able to um, go on and do my master's, which uh, I, I did that specifically in leadership and managing innovation and change, because that's at that point, uh, I thought that was the most important thing uh, for my career. And that really helped me to understand organization, organizational culture, strategy, and so on. Uh, I then moved on, and I'll make this brief, one minute. Uh, I moved on um, around 2014, I went into a project management role um, for a couple of years and took on a very challenging uh, project across um, all the AHP professions and psychology to do um, a major transformation project and also to release something in the region of um, one and a half million pounds in cost improvement. And, and I think that has been the most challenging thing um, uh, in terms of my resilience and actually being very feeling on occasions very very much alone and that's when I had to dig deep in terms of my leadership skills. Um, I retired as I said in 2018 not because I was unhappy I decided that I would retire when I was still um, really enjoying my role as um, an occupational therapist and as a leader in the profession um, and then I had an opportunity and an opportunity was presented to apply um, for a non-executive uh, director's role. And um, I went through the process because at that point I felt there was nothing, I didn't have anything to lose. And it was a very challenging and competitive process. But, you know, as Andre said, I just want to say again that you know, as occupational therapists, we have an immense array of transferable skills. Um, and so I've been a non-exec since the beginning of this year. And, you know, it has its challenges because I've gone straight into COVID. But even with the challenges, um, the skills that I have as an occupational therapist has put me in a very good place. And so, you know, we, we can go into many, many, many areas. And in, I would like to encourage people not just to think about um, what they can deliver as an occupational therapist, also what they can de de deliver in many, many other roles as well. I'm sorry, I've taken too much time, but as I said, I've got 40 years um, nearly of um, career journey. Yeah, you conned us there. You said, I'm going to be brief. And then I was like, where's she going? Where's she going? Yeah, well, you, don't, you don't have to come back to me. Um, that's it now. You can you can forget me for the rest of this Oh, um, no, 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 no. I think the, the thing I, I just want to bring back to is that um, 
I think who, whichever, wherever we are in AHP, it's really becoming apparent that we can widen our opportunities and experiences. We don't have to uh, be told that we have to stay clinical. If there's opportunity, then we should take it. Juin, I'm going to come to you for some words of summary. Yep, definitely agree with you, uh, Mish, about, uh, you know, well, it's, you don't just have to stay in one straightforward path. I think all of you have uh, clearly illustrated that there's no straightforward path to leadership, but there are also certain commonalities. Like I noticed that all of you are very active experience seekers, you know, like uh, you, you embody what uh, Steve Jobs says, you know, you stay hungry, stay foolish. And uh, all of you describe leadership as a very people-oriented endeavor, like Andre says, you know, you're only as good as the teams you manage. Um, I really like what uh, Denise and uh, Vimal uh, talked about when describing the journey, um, because they also talked about the people who empowered them and uplifted them. It just really enforces that leadership is a people-oriented endeavor, you know. Um, and, and it's also quite aligned with uh, Maria's principle of uh, giving people space to grow bigger than you are. I thought that was really wise, and I think that's definitely something that more leaders uh, should should um, be, be aware of and be mindful of. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Juin. That was really helpful summary. What did you say? Active experience seekers. You're all active experience seekers. I like that term. Very interesting term. Uh, did you say that was Steve Jobs, was it? No, Steve Jobs was saying, uh, stay hungry, stay foolish. Uh, the experience oh. seekers thing, it, it just reminded me of how we talk about sensory seekers in uh, occupational therapy. And I was like, oh, you know, these people really, really make the effort to go and seek experiences, just like uh, what Andre did, you know, uh, he's switching jobs every year, switching a different field every year. Like, and then, you know, Maria shifting countries, Vima shifting countries, you know, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah, actively yeah. seeking adventure and experience <laughs> Ooh, yes i like that i like that i'm going to go on to question three um i'm quite aware maria that i might keep coming to you as the first person for the next two questions because i know you might have to go so if i come to you for question three first and i'll just say what question three is why is it important to have representation what are the enablers and barriers for people from the global majority populations progressing into leadership positions in their careers? Maria. Right. Um, yeah, the trouble with going first is I miss out all the juicy bits because I was just trying to get down my list last time. So <laughs> this came up with some really good things. But uh, yeah, so, well, obviously it's really important to have representation um, to, you know, having presence raises an awareness and, this has really come to light in the last few months, actually, since the you know, Black Lives Matter movement started and um, uh, keeping things on the agenda as well. Um, the representation helps with that. Um, and I think also when, um, you know, enable solutions to be found um, from the right perspective, rather than people guessing what, what might be needed. So I think that, you know, representation to me uh, is, um, I think, um yeah so just about the the um the barriers enablers and barriers um the enablers really are line managers having the insight and understanding of the challenges that people might face and i think one of the th it's just an observation that i have and i don't know that there's anything behind this and it would require research to show any evidence but um sometimes i find 
people who who um, find it difficult to sell themselves or push themselves. Um, you know, that's where the, the, the managers are needed really to, to encourage them to go for things. Some people will volunteer for everything, whether they can do it or not. And, I, you know, I find some people who are really, really good, but they just don't have that confidence to, to speak up. And I, you know, I was, I was like that myself, although I seem to be, you know, going for all sorts of things. You know, when you grow up in a country where you're not seen as being, you know, um, well, it might be seen as inferior. You, you don't volunteer for loads of things. You don't. And, you, you know, I've only gone for things when I've really felt confident that I can do them. And um, I think Vimal was saying that um, somebody um, sort of encouraged you to go for something. Now, I also had similar um, things happen where the, the, the job that I came back from Australia for was advertised for a medic. And my, um, my PhD supervisor, who was still mentoring me, said, why don't you go for it? doesn't matter it doesn't say you can't be a physio you know they won't go to a physiotherapist so I went for it and I got the job so it was just really good having somebody encouraging me to do that I would never have gone for that I would have never it was in, it was advertised in the Lancet I wouldn't have seen it so I think that's really important and the barriers you know there are obviously unconscious bias of people but also lacking the confidence that's the barrier that I see in that I saw in myself and I see in other people so Thank you, Maria. Thank you. Yes. Someone believing in you and, you know, that can, that lacking in confidence being a barrier for self. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. I feel that. <laughs> Vimal, can I ask you that same question? Um, yeah. I mean, um, not terribly too much uh, to add to what Maria was saying earlier. Um, from the enablers, per se, I can speak from my uh, uh, experience as having good role models uh, where you can model yourself on. And, you know, I've been lucky enough to have good role models. Uh, people who have encouraged me, who have um, made sure that I had the right chances at the right time to go off and do what I wanted to do. And, uh, you know, when things didn't work very well, I could still go to them and say, look, this isn't working. How what should I do? So they were, even though it was my project and my thing to do and you know, deliver, they still supported me and encouraged me. And I, um, one of my previous managers is, you know, I still stay in touch with him like 10, 12 years after he was my manager. And I still ask him for advice and support sometimes and say, look, you know, this is happening. What would you do sort of thing? So I think I've been lucky enough to have that. And I think for most people, having those type of role models is very essential. And um, if you have good role models, then you sort of tend to be a better leader, I think. The other aspect of, um, from BAME perspective in terms of enablers, I think you also need good allies, uh, you know, who are on your side, who are in positions of influence and power, who will, you know, make those opportunities and um, uh, chances available to you and to others. I think that's very important as well. And for, uh, as an individual, I think it's also important for people to recognize that they have a very unique and distinctive uh, perspective that they bring from their cultural background or from their, so I grew up in India and I trained as for my education very, very differently to education perspectives in the UK, for example. And, you know, I could sort of bring that here and do certain things that people here wouldn't generally have done. I think that uh, recognition within individuals, I think, is a good enabler as well. 
Um, barriers this is more tricky again. Um, um, it's about I, th I suspect a lot of good leaders don't come forward simply because they're not aware of the opportunities. They don't know what's available. And like Maria was saying now, if you don't see the you know advert because it's placed in the Lancet, or if you think oh it's not for me, I think that's a huge barrier in itself. Simply because you're not aware of the opportunities, and you're not moving in the right circles and. Uh, you know, you're just not being told what to do and what is right or what is wrong. Um, I think again, for what is seen generally as good skills for leadership is like things like, you know, you're being a good communicator, being an extrovert, exuding that confidence. And for lots of people, that is a struggle. And, you know, I'm a terribly introverted person. Um, I sit in a room very quietly observing and listening to people before I even voice, a, voice an opinion. Um, having to change that and when you're in a leadership position and when you have to chair meetings or be in other uh, meetings with other leaders, etc. It's sort of you need those skills and developing those skills takes time and um, that in itself is a barrier if you don't know whom to go or how to approach that. And um, again, echo what Mario was saying in terms of, you know, sometimes we never big our achievements, we never speak about our triumphs, we are much more, you know, happy to be humble and quiet and um, not bleat uh, uh, on about what we've done or achieved. Um, I think that's a barrier as well. Uh, people don't talk to their strengths sometimes. And that's it for me. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something else there. That's why I didn't come in. <laughs> Andre, would you like to come in on that? Yes, of course. It's one of my favourite topics, really, to be honest. Um, in, in relation to why representation matters, it is on a, a basic level, it shows people what they can become. Um, when, after I... I finished study and I, I never saw another black manager in, in our in our profession or anywhere anywhere I went never never saw one um so for people who are um thinking okay where can I go what can I do if, if you don't see yourself um in those positions of influence and and what you can control call power um it's hard to be almost inspired to become one of them and think it, that is possible and people who then attempt to do it will always feel this sense of imposter syndrome and oh well, am I supposed to be doing that am I supposed to be going for that um so it doesn't breed a lot of confidence for people to put themselves forward for positions of influence because they've never seen anyone who looks like them in those positions no one's ever discussed um their absence in those areas of um of of, of um, influence so I don't think it breeds a lot of confidence to people if they don't see anyone who represents them in those positions um so when you are in those positions you'll be absolutely amazed how many black therapists um or just just team members across are really will come to you in private and say to you like we're so happy that you're in that position and you're um and you're, you're inspirational and you you make me want to go and do something similar like it's incredible you wouldn't even think it in your head um but it, it, people will come to you and say that because you, you can never underestimate um the lack of confidence some people have like myself i'm i would say i'm inherently probably a confident person but there's many people who are not and for you to um um be aware of that 
um, sometimes it's difficult because you, you're also caught up in who you are. Um, so definitely um, it, as an insp- in terms of inspiring other people to want to move forward and um, 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 go into management, it's, it's important to have people in those positions who they can see their reflection in. Um, aside of that, in terms of influencing the strategic agenda, um, it's important that there's representation there is because uh, some of the some a lot of the decisions which get made um, can't fully consider um, those of a minority because a lot of things you can read about it but a lot of the things which um, impact people um, black people and minorities are lived experiences um, which you have to have to have experienced it you have to have been in the circumstance you have had to um, um, been through it to be able to inform on it um it came up uh, came to light a lot with the blm stuff when in my organizations our response to it um a lot of people in senior management in our organization are white there's no other real races at all so in order to respond um, and read the room in terms of how they should respond to it they wouldn't have been able to um, just make, make make those calls in an informed way. And it was it's really useful to have someone there who can um, advise and, and provide that influence. Um, and that feeds down into the strategy of the organisation, the services, service provision, um, where things are advertised, all types of nuances which are not considered if there isn't representation at that level. And um, you can't underestimate that, even in terms of recruitment, um and um trying to dissipate unconscious bias it's, 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 it's great if you have another representation making decisions about recruitment um just to weed out any types of unconscious bias um it also just allows people to see people in different in a different light in a, in a different view so if there's people as a minority we sometimes especially if you live in london as well you kind of underestimate um how few of us there is in the country um in comparison so there's some people who would never ever come across black people and literally never come across um, asian people really not all really and you, you think it's it's um it's uncommon but it's actually quite common so when they then come so they'll have this view of black people or asian people in, because of what they've watched what films they watch what movies they watch what music whatever it is and then when they see a black person or asian person or whatever it may be a chinese person in, in a place of influence and they meet them and, and and you you are able to um obviously display who you are it gives people a different perspective of who who black people are who asians are who um whatever the culture culture is um and it isn't just what is portrayed in the media um sorry i'm going on um so yeah i think um yeah they're they're, they're kind of the main things which i think are why representation is important um at management level um yeah that's me thank you thank you andre yeah i i hear that i hear that about needing to see people in those top positions to enable people to know that you can travel in that direction and and that's important to see and also about mixing 
different people together so you get to know all these different uh cultures that exist and people are people we're all part of the human race it doesn't matter where where our backgrounds are denise can i go to you for that question and and you in again i'm going to come to you after question four if that's okay yes for me you know i it's a no-brainer um the, the question of, of, of representation. In the country, the proportion of, of the working age population that comes from a, a BAME background is increasing year on year on year. Uh, and we're not going away, and we're not going away. And, and so it, it's, it's essential that, that, you know, we have uh, representation at every level in every organization. And there's so much out in the public domain. There's so much research out there, which, which gives, tells us that you know, if you have a, a diverse and inclusive workforce, um, you know, the benefits of that, you know, for the economy, for you know, if we just look at where we are in health and 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 and, and care and social care, that the outcomes for our, our patients and and um, and service users. Um, are so much better um, if there's a, a diverse and, and inclusive workforce. And it means then that, you know, there's, there's such a, um, a rich range of skills, background experiences that can be shared to ensure that, you know, the best services um, are, are accessible to the communities and, 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 uh, uh, and, and are being provided. You know, so it's a no-brainer. You know, you get better staff experience, you get better recruitment and retention, you get um, organisational reputation enhanced, um, better productivity. Um, so, so it's it's it's, it's vital. Um, I'm just you know um, frustrated that you know it's, progress and change is not moving as quickly as it should. You know, as I've just shared with you, I I retired. Um, at the end of 2018, and in a nearly 40-year career, even when I retired, I could still count on on you know on maybe a couple of hands the number of managers from um, and, and leaders um, from a BAME background that that I knew and um, have, have access to. So the pace of change uh, is 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 not is not moving. Uh, as quickly uh, as possible. I agree with all that's already been said about confidence. And I think because of the lived experience of many, um, uh, uh, many, many, myself included, um, from previous experience, you know, um, it impacts on your self-esteem and confidence. And like as other people have shared, you know, I was fortunate that earlier on in, in my career, we didn't call it uh, mentoring in, back in the day, but I had a mentor who actually said to me uh, for my first leadership role, why, why haven't you applied? Why haven't you applied for that job? Um, and so there's lots of organisations need to do around the, the talent, uh, identifying talent and making sure that there's um, a structure and infrastructure in place that people can access um, that, that development support and um, programs to enhance their, 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 their development. There's lots of barriers. It's already, you know, people have already shared um, unconscious bias, 
um, um, to, to, to name a few, the role model issue that, you know, if you can't see, if you can't see someone remotely like yourself, then there's nothing to aspire to. There's still issues around recruitment processes that need to be addressed. And I'll stop there because I could go on for a long time. Thank you. Thank you. I like that. No brainer, only gains. Thank you very much. Maria, have you got time to stay with us for the last question, which is what advice do you uh, do you have for staff or educators from the global majority populations who want to make the move towards leadership? Yeah, that's fine. Thank you. Do you want me to do that now? Or did you want um, something? Thanks. Um, well, I suppose I'd have three things to say, really. Um, have the courage to be more proactive than you feel comfortable being in seeking the opportunities for leadership. Because um, it might not be, you know, come naturally to you to put yourself forward for things, but you can be surprised at what you're capable of if you, if you, you know, really push yourself. Um, and it's easier said than done, but it's, it's worth doing. Um, then something I do is, is try and see um, barriers as challenges and not things that block my way and I actually see them as things to energize um, efforts to achieve so um, that's another thing I'd, I'd try and encourage you to do um, and then stay true to your values now I had um, I was on a leadership course and my mentor said to me do you think that you're in the wrong place and I said what do you mean Southampton and they said no academia and they said, because your values are different to your peers, because mine was about sort of supporting people and other people were, were um, not doing that so much. And they're saying that, you know, my values don't seem to fit with the competitiveness of academia. So I said, well, that's all the more reason for staying in it and trying to influence it. Um, and I just believe that aspects of the academic system stifle creativity and that defeats um, the ethos of furthering knowledge. So just stay true to yourself and um, uh, and you know, uh, you know believe in yourself and don't let the system push you out. So that's mine. Thank you. I, I just I held on to the that barriers energize efforts to achieve. I'm gonna put that somewhere. <laughs> that's just a great saying. Challenges rather than barriers, because they're not really barriers. Yeah. That's a great way, great way to put it. Denise, do you want to come in on that? Oh, you're on mute. Let me unmute myself. Yes, I would, um, I would say that um, be intentional. Um, don't leave your career to chance. So, you know, be, be intentional about um, what you want to do and, and, and where. Um, where you want to go. I agree entirely with Maria. Um, be authentic. I think that's absolutely critical to be authentic and um, be true to yourself. Uh, develop a network. Um, network also is really important. And for me, I've used my network all through uh, my career. One of the things for me is having an inner circle of individuals who understand the context of of, 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 of where you work and what you're doing, um, that you can use them to sense check because sometimes it plays with your mind, um, the kind of responses you get. And you need to be clear about whether or not the response you've had 
is because of you and your colour or whether actually the response is because yes you need to do better and there are issues that you haven't dressed very well so I've I've had an inner circle that all the way through my career I could use them to sense check and to decide if I needed to, to take action or just to park someone's response to me because it's their issue and it's not mine um, but my network has also helped me to progress in my career and and when I've had to uh, to make some challenging decisions uh, around career etc and I think the other thing I would say as well is uh, don't um, don't take no for an answer. Um, so that supports what Maria said. You know, you'll be told no many times, but there are different ways of getting the outcome you want and to where you want to be. Thank you. Thank you. It's that belief and that support. And a kind of changing of mindset coming through. Um, Vimal, do you want to answer that question? Um, firstly, I'd say it's a combination of what Eugene was saying earlier and what Denise just said. It's about um, seeking out those opportunities very actively, uh, building up those networks. And nowadays, you know, people are fortunate enough to have newsletters and Twitter and, you know, you can follow the right people, make sure that you are in the loop of what's happening, seeking out those opportunities become slightly more easier. And, you know, um, I'd also say be prepared to give your own time um, to what you want to achieve. So it might ha not happen during work time or your study time, or it ha might have to be your personal time that you sacrifice to start you off on that career towards a better leadership. So be prepared to do that if needed. Um, and I also think be prepared to be challenged. People will challenge you. People will ask why you want to do this, but also don't be afraid of failing. It's okay to fail. It's okay to ask. It's okay to learn. And that's, you know, failing and learning from that is the best way to learn. So be prepared to do that as well. And I think, um, Importantly, seek out someone who can act as your mentor. And uh, I think that's important. At the same time, once you reach a position of being a leader or uh, you know, a, a, as a senior, be sure to return the favor and mentor and coach other people to get where you have reached and never forget to look back and say, I was like this person once. So if they ask you or trouble you or send you tons of emails asking for support and help, be sure to respond back and help yeah. them out as well. Oh, I like that. Return the favour. Yeah, yeah. That's it with me. Andre, over to you. Me? Um, what, what I would say is <clears throat> prepare yourself. Be clear about your aspirations. So you need to have that discussion with yourself and say, is, is going into management what I want to do are you sure you want to do that because if you want to do that before you get to management what you want to do is prepare yourself for the pressure and the responsibility that it's going to entail so that will mean actively seeking out additional responsibilities actively um, seeking out um, positions well positions where you are going to feel uncomfortable because uh, I will I will say clearly management is a lot more complicated and harder than just being a therapist it's a lot more complicated and much, much more difficult. Um, you're going to be put in all types of situations and have all types of um, 
um, scenarios which are going to mean you're going to need a lot of resilience. So before you put yourself um, forward for that, make sure that you've already built yourself up and put yourself into those scenarios where you've taken additional responsibility and um, behaved um, um, as if you'd want to assume those responsibilities. Um, be clear of your organisation. Be clear with your organisation about if that is your aspiration, be clear with them and say, look, I'm really keen to go into management. What are the opportunities that can that you can provide me to, to support my um, progression to do that? If the organisation is not going to support you going into management, and it, it might be you need to move. It might be don't just sit there and think that this organisation is going to um, just put you in those positions. It might be you need to move for you to um, dovetail your way into a position of more seniority. So you need to think strategically around that. But number one, is manager what I want to do or is it just what you think you want to do? Because as I said, everyone here will tell you management is not easy. Um, it's not, you, you wake up, you, you go to it, there's a lot of responsibility, especially in our field. It's not a really, it's not, we're not a pen pushing, it's not a pen pushing role. There's people's lives and um, well-being um, on the line with a lot of the services so and as you get more senior and you start managing more services there's more people <laughs> that are, are under your um, team's influence and you, you, you have to understand that when you go into management you are relying on other people to do what they need to do to meet the, your agenda so it becomes a whole different dynamic um, so prepare yourself for that is, is what I say uh, that, that, that's that's my views thank you i like that the the little preparation ad advice you gave there build yourself up be clear know your resilience think strategic <laughs> thank you i'm going to give the floor to joey now because hopefully she's been collecting some insights and she's going to feed that back to us so over to you joey yes uh, uh, yeah, thank you very much, Nish. Um, Nish I just want to also say uh, thank you, Maria, for still sticking around. I was, wasn't sure whether you'd go and be, to be popping out soon. So uh, I will be quick. Um, one of the things that I, I, I noticed, you know, uh, the commonality between all four of you is that you talk about uh, managing a certain, a certain type of tension, you know, between the internal and external. And I think that is what um, a lot of, you know, when I talk to students, when I talk to budding therapists, I think, I think that is one of the things that they struggle with. You know, I mean, you, you have talked broadly about role models and allies and sponsors. Maria has talked about this. Uh, Vimal has talked about this, you know, but also uh, what Andre talked about, you know, what if you don't have them, you know, how do you succeed besides, despite, you know, not having those role models or allies or sponsors. Andre and Maria's uh, narratives, you know, there, there is quite a bit about a self-determination, you know, and being and, and um, you know, daring to be different. And uh, also uh, what um, Vimal said about, you know, being prepared. So I, I feel like this, this is the, the eternal part that uh, leaders need to be able to cultivate, um, whereby, you know, even, even though these, the uh, structural uh, situation, uh, the environment that people are embedded in is that, you know, there is a general lack of representation. We have to agree on that. You know, that's what Denise also talked about as well. You know, could it be overcome you know, um, by having this uh, first, first of all, this eternal drive. You know, it seems to you seem to need to need it to be very strong. And you know, I'm I'm also wondering. You know, would would people who feel like, oh, 
I can't do that. I, I'm not as determined as them, you know. Can I really do this? You know, so so it also helps to think about, like Vimal said, having allies, you know, people who see opportunities and sponsor you towards them. And uh, uh, how with social media, you know, that there are even more opportunities to build the network so that uh, when you have the network, you know, the opportunities are more likely to flow towards you rather than just you going against the grain. And I'm also wondering, you know, um, some of the things that uh, Denise and Andre talked about, you know, you talk about clarity. Um, what if, what is your advice for people who don't have that clarity yet, you know, uh, who, who feel like, oh, I'm, I'm starting out, all, all this you're talking about, yes, you know, you, you're in very high positions of leadership, uh, but it's really intimidating. I don't have this sort of determination yet. I don't have that sort of clarity yet. What about, you know, will I be able to get to where you are? I'm just wondering, what do you think about that? that, that that's, that's why I said it is, it is important to put yourself in positions of, of responsibility within your teams to test out, do you want that? pressure do you want that responsibility is it is it actually going to benefit your life to be a manager being a manager is stressful <laughs> there's some people who can't manage stress it's not it's not going to be good for their well-being so it's good to test it out see how you how, how, how you how you like it and then if you're really keen on it and um you you, you need to have that self-determination and that um, that that self-will to put yourself in uh, above the parapet and say you know what I'm here, I can do the role, I'm responsible and I'm going to be accountable. That is not, again, an easy easy thing. You're going to have a lot of people looking towards you, a lot of weak people looking at you, a lot of people who, even if they've made an issue, made made an error, it's really, it's going to be on your head. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tricky place to be in sometimes, but it's really, really um, rewarding once you achieve you, um, your goals, the aspirations for the teams and you, and you you, you push through all of those self those service improvements and self service developments and you see people progress from being a junior to taking um, um, senior positions and you see all of those types of self development it's like really 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 rewarding um, but I do believe you have to have a certain personality um, to want to do that not every it's okay not to want to go in management actually it's actually okay if it doesn't fit your personality but yeah it, it, challenge yourself to do it if, yeah. if you it's going to benefit you I, I i agree i agree with andre and i'm a real advocate for um project work and that's one you know people should test test the waters take on projects and 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 see how they go with that and for me another thing for individuals who may not be sure uh, is, is actually to spend, invest that time um, understanding you and, and becoming more self-aware. There's lots of tools and um, out there that people can actually be clear about what the strengths are, you know, what makes them tick, what are they really good at, what are the strengths, what would they need to develop um, if, if they want to actually take on the leadership and manage, management roles. Andrew's absolutely right that, you know, it's not, not for everyone, but the, there are things that people can do and test out to see if that's the direction that they want to go in. Can I just add one more thing to what Andrew and Dennis were saying? I think clinically and professionally, we are taught not the failure is not an option. Um, you fail, then it causes patient harm or, you know, causes service harm. And that's how we're conditioned and told that failure is not an option. And people need to be 
comfortable with failure, taking small steps in, you know, doing projects and then seeing if that works and whether that's for them before they choose to go into management, that's a nice route. And maybe Mish, this is for another po podcast for you. Much like in research, you see, we don't hear about failure from leaders. You know, mm -hmm. you always are showing leaders in successful positions. And, you know, we talk about all our successes. We're very seldom we hear about all the failures that led us to that position and um, how comfortable are we in talking about every failure that we've had along the, along the way. And I think for juniors to hear that and know that it's okay for me to fail, I can take small steps to lead me to succeed and become a good leader. I think that's equally important as well. And can I just add to that very briefly? You're absolutely right, Vimal. And I think sometimes what we forget is that the, the greatest learning can come from the failures. Absolutely, absolutely. That, that is what builds a lot of your resilience. The bad moments, everything that went wrong, everything that went wrong makes you learn and it makes you realise that actually, even in the worst situation, it's not over, you, you, you go again. So yeah, I, I agree, um, Vimal. Um, the, the, the main things you remember um, is those, oh, actually the main things you reference when you, you need to get through a, a bad situation is some of the, the crises that happened <laughs> previously. So it is, that's what builds the resilience. People's aspirations sometimes um, are, mis are not aligned with their <laughs> personalities and what they're capable of doing. And I, I always say to people, it, you're not not successful if you don't go into management. Um, absolutely, it's, it's a great thing to do if if, if you if you want to do. But some people I, I've spoken to people and they feel pressurized in terms of making another step in their career and what what, what they need to do, but management is often not what people think it's going to be when they go into it um, and <laughs> you'll go into it and it, unless you are prepared for what it entails it's not going to be an enjoyable experience so um, uh, that's what we say to people when um, they say to me I'd ask me for advice I say look take additional responsibility in the team take see how it feels like ask the manager like look let me let, let me lead a team meeting let me let me take on a project let me you know, take additional and see how, how you feel about it. See how it goes. Get, just warm into it and see if it feels good for you. And and there'll be plenty of people who are listening. You're like, yeah, I can't do those type of things. It's not that you can't do it. You've got to try it first. <laughs> you, you could try it first. Try it first and see how, how, you, how you feel about it. Um, it'd be You might surprise yourself. You might find that it's amazing. Oh, wow. I didn't think I could ever do that. I'm getting comfortable in doing it. Um, but when you just kind of like jump from no responsibility to all the responsibility or attempt to go to have all the responsibility, it, it, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it might be a big bit, bit of a big transition. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Do you want to say anything else, Joey? Thank you. Yes, thank you very much, everybody, for your uh, insights. I'm sure, um, you know, people... Like budding therapists and uh, you know students will probably find this insights a lot more uh, approachable. <laughs> something they can aspire to, something they can work towards. That is to actively seek experiences, whether or not they have that clarity, whether or not they have that determination. It's okay, you know, just go and try it out anyway. Make mistakes. I think that's very comforting, you know, for for you know, perhaps the, the those new to the profession uh, would would would, uh, would would like to, be, uh, and then eventually they'll get to where you are. <laughs>
Okay, so I'm going to sort of end the podcast now, if that's okay. And and really, thank you so much for your time. Um, I'm sure people are going to be really glad we had this podcast and it's going to inspire and inform a lot of um, aspiring leaders at every level and your wisdom advice is going to be great for them. I wanted to end with um, a quote from Angela Davis, renowned American political activist, philosopher, academic and author. And she says, we have to talk about liberating minds as well as liberating society. And I think all of you have helped us to liberate our minds a little bit about our place as leaders and where we can be leaders and how we can be leaders. And Gandhi said, we have to be the change we want to see in the world. But to do that, we have to disrupt and dismantle the barriers in our minds to start movement to make the change. And while en route, make a chink in systemic and structural barriers external to the person to disrupt and mantle, dismantle here too. So I think it's about getting the mind tingly about leadership and whether we take it forward or not is another thing, but we can be leaders at every level. Thank you again for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you.